about this chapter is that Samson marries a Philistine and the thing about it is that they were not supposed to marry outside of the uh, Jewish people but there was a purpose behind this that we're going to uh, see why this happened the way it did the last chapter we looked at uh, the birth of Samson how the angel had told his mother that uh, he was going to take the Nazarene vow, you know, not to shave his head. And so this chapter right here continues the narrative of Samson. So the 14th chapter, we look at Samson's first marriage, and the marriage is not going to last long, but there's going to be a, a divine purpose uh, behind it. We don't know how many years uh, there were between the end of the 13th chapter and the beginning of the 14th chapter. So let's pray as we go to the word. Lord, thank you for your word. As you bless us as we study tonight, give me with your spirit to teach text well. Send your spirit, Lord, to illuminate the truth that we will hear tonight. For all of us that we may grow by your word, that we may encourage in this midweek Bible study. Let us bless our time tonight and let us see Christ and all of his glory in this text. Amen. Amen. So, so Samson seeks the Philistine wife, and as we always do, we're going to go section by section. So, we're going to look at the first uh, few verses here. And this is Judges, the 14th chapter. So it says, now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, is there no women among the daughters of your brethren? Among all my people, that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his mother, Go get her for me, for she pleases me well. So, in other words, Mom, be quiet. Go get the woman that I want. <laughs> so, 
this is almost like a case of love at first sight. He saw a woman of the Philistines and he was drawn uh, to her. He saw the woman and instantly wanted to marry her. So, you know, that lets us know you know, love at first sight is not some modern uh, human invention, so to speak. This is old as time. So, <laughs> so he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And he went to his mom and dad. So he said at the end, I'm jumping out to the end of verse three, that she pleases me well. I mean, man, he was very, very pleased with, with the woman that he saw. Generally means in the Hebrew, she is light in my eyes. That's what that means, uh, literally. So what Samson cared about was how things looked to himself, not how they looked to the Lord. of the human heart again. We sometimes don't think about how things will look to God. We think about how they are pleasing our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And the desires of the flesh always please us, but they're never pleasing to God. There are consequences of those, of that decision in saying things and doing things that only up are always bad. The consequences are always bad. They're always negative. The outcome is never good. And the thing is that love at first sight can be very powerful, but it can be very dangerous also. Many people are seduced by what we would say love at first sight. Now, it is possible to fall in love with somebody that we have no business falling in love with. And this is the case with Samson. He's falling in love with somebody that he had no business falling in love with, and that was a Philistine woman. It can feel wonderful love at first sight, but it doesn't last in its initial form forever. This is this is infatuation that we can deal with as man. You you see a, 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 a woman if you're a man, or you see a man if you're a woman, and you're so exhilarated by laying your eyes on them for the first time. Dopamine, high as they call it, man, it's like you're on cloud now when you meet this person. And what it does, it clouds your judgment, especially if it's someone that you know you're not supposed to be with. And for believers, it can be an unbeliever. You can see an unbeliever, and man, lay your eyes on him or her of the opposite sex, and you can just fall in love and just be so infatuated with them. But the fact is, is that they are not true believers. And that's going to cause some consequences. And that's what happened with Samson here. You know, we can be attracted more to the feeling of love itself. And this is something to always remember. We can be more attracted to the feeling of love than the person we focus upon. Who we don't really know at first sight. We don't truly know them. Marriage. Some people like the idea of marriage. They like the idea of the wedding, you know, getting prepared for the wedding, you know, having engagement, you know, booking the facility and getting all the bridesmaids together and the groomsmen and getting the wedding party together, you know, send out the invitations and and having all these guests coming and celebrating you 
and celebrating your spouse, whether it's your husband or your wife. And some people are in love with the idea, you know, the fairy tale of marriage or the fairy tale of a wedding, but not really thinking about the consequences if it's the wrong choice. The Samson here is falling into that same trap. So Samson told his father, again, go get her for me, for she pleases me well. So he basically demanded this wife. He demanded this wife. Again, we don't know how old he was at this time. So he showed sinful regard for God's law. He showed disregard for his parents. So what did his parents say? You can't find a woman from among your own people? You know, among your own tribe, among your own people, your own Jewish people, those who are circumcised. Because you have to remember something about circumcision. Circumcision was part of the covenant that Israel had with God to separate them from the pagans. You know, all the Jewish boys at eight days old, I think it was eight days old, had to be circumcised. That was part of the covenant that God made with Abraham, first of all. Okay? That was part of uh, Abrahamic covenant. But it became the covenant that God made with Israel that every male had to be circumcised. So this is one of the things that separated Israel from the other pagan nations. So to be uncircumcised was like, you don't belong to us. If anybody wanted to become, if some of these foreigners, these pagans, wanted to become part of Israel, then guess what? They had to get circumcised. So what Samson did was he violated God's will. Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4. This is what God said. This is the first time he said it. He said it several other times to them, even when they got into the promised land. This is one of, this is one of Israel's downfalls, was mixing marriage with pagans. This is what Deuteronomy 7, 3 and 4 said. Nor shall you make marriages with them, meaning the pagans. I give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons. Why? For they would turn your sons away from following me. Serve other gods, for the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. What God said. Do not marry these because they were going to take them away from worshiping God. Worshiping him, worshiping Yahweh. So, Samson was bound by romantic feelings. And so he demanded from the Lord this woman. Now, the command to the Israelites, the Hebrews, not intermarry with the pagans applies to the Christian today. And that a Christian must not marry someone who is not a Christian. Must not. We're not to join ourselves together with unbelievers. That is, that is biblical. Second Corinthians 6 and 14. Paul says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 
For what fellowship has righteousness with, with lawlessness? For what communion has light with darkness? It is better for a Christian woman or man to remain single than to marry an unbeliever. That is much better. What does the Bible say? How can two walk together except they agree? I have nothing in common with a non-Christian woman. Nothing. Other than the fact that we're both image bearers of God. But that's where it stops. When I was in college, yeah, I dated some uh, girls who weren't believers. And you know what? I was like, no, Lord, I can't do this. Can't get married. Thought it was dishonor God. It was always retention. I want to go to church. She won't want to go to church. I may want to raise kids one way. She may want to raise them another way. She may indulge in things that uh, me as a Christian can't just can't do. There will always be problems. You know, I'm always going to do something with my church family. She won't. Why? Because she's a non-Christian. Same thing with the female and the male. Female Christian with the non-Christian male. Same thing. You're going to end up more like them. You're going to end up more like them. It's going to draw you away from serving God. That was the principle with that. And, and, and this is what Samson was in danger of doing. And it's not that those who are not Christians are not lovable. They are, you know, they are worthy of love. Sometimes they're more lovable than believers. But, you know, it's not because they're not good enough. It's not because they're not worthy of our love. It's not that they're somehow inherently, you know, incapable of being a good marriage partner. They, they perhaps could. But, being a Christian means Jesus Christ is the most important thing in your life. And for an unbeliever, Jesus Christ is not the most important thing. So when a Christian and non-Christian get together, guess what? You got two people who disagree on the most important things in life. Because they are not both believers. And what do you think the consequence is going to be? Disastrous. So this is how this is how serious this is. It goes against God's plan to marry an unbeliever. And there's specific commands for it that, that we must we must understand. Now if a person is if two unbelievers are married and then one becomes a Christian, then they're to remain married. Paul talks about that in first uh, Corinthians the seventh chapter. Samson here, God did use Samson mightily, as we're going to see. He did. But God used Samson despite his sin. Despite the fact that he wanted to marry this Philistine. Not because of it. God uses us despite our sin. He uses us despite our fallenness, our fallen nature. 
He used us to spite the fact that we sinned against him. And he used Samson the same way. So, verse 4. Well, what is God's will behind this? It says, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. Why would God do this? Why would God allow this? We'll see. <clears throat> that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. Remember, the Philistines had Israel under bondage. Keep that in mind. They were under bondage of the Philistines when uh, Samson was born. Okay, look back to chapter 13, verse 1. They were in the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. But Israel was under bondage to the Philistines. So it says that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at the time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So God had a divine purpose behind this. And we're going to find this through the rest of the chapter. So some good will ultimately come out of this ungodly marriage. Because we're going to see that many Philistines were killed. They were kept out of balance in their attempt to dominate the Israelites. So that, that, that was... Now, the thing is, none of this justified Samson's actions. You have to keep that in mind. Although God can make even the evil of man to serve his purposes, it never justifies the evil that man does. Always remember that principle. I say it again. Even though God can make even the evil of man to serve his purposes, it never justifies the evil that man does. But he can Make the evil of man to serve his purposes, ultimately, because he's sovereign over even that. God was, uh, he allowed Samson to do what he wanted to do, although the act itself was sinful. So, he allowed it. God never, this is the thing about God and sin. God never sanctions sin. He never approves of sin. He allows man to make those choices. But no one can ever accuse God of, of, of evil. But some people today, in our day, may justify you know, their desire to marry a non-Christian woman because they trust some good may come out of it. <laughs> you know, such that non-Christian partner may eventually come to Christ, but we don't know that. It may work out that way, but even though God used Samson's marriage to a Philistine woman, it all came at a great personal cost to Samson, and we're going to see that. It came at great personal cost to him. No matter how much God can bring out of even the, the worst things that we do. No matter the fact that God can do that, He can always bring far more out of our obedience than out of our disobedience. Think about that. And we experience less pain when God does it out of our obedience rather than our disobedience. 
because the disobedience brings the, the consequences to more pain. A purpose may be accomplished, but man, look at all the pain. Just imagine the blessing of obeying God and what could come out of, of, of the situation that way. So, Samson slays a lion <laughs> and eats a wild honey. So, man, we're seeing Samson action here beginning at uh, verse 5 through 9. So, let's look at this section here. Samson begins to show his strength. So, Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, this surprised a young lion came roaring up against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came out upon him. And he tore the lion apart as one would a torn part of a young girl, though he had nothing in his hand. He did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So the first thing to note about this passage is that it took place over a certain period of time because bees don't make honey instantly uh, just like that. We don't know how long or a period, but the bees had made a hive inside the carcass of this lion. So, you know I mean? The lion had to decompose and, you know, we don't know how much of it was left, but the bees in there made, made a bee, uh, beehive. He got the honey from him. So this happened over a little period of time. Remember, when you're reading this story for the Arabs, say everything doesn't happen in real time. Okay. But he, he took, took some of the honey. I'm sure he gathered it in jars and stuff like that. And he took some to his uh, parents. So he went down and did this. So this was showing his, his strength. And then he went down to the vineyards of Timnah. Remember, he took the Nazareth, he took the Nazarene vow. He's not supposed to have wine or any other type of drink. Vineyards where they make wine and where they ferment the grapes and everything. But why did he have this strength? Because the spirit of the Lord was upon him. It gave him this supernatural strength. Spurgeon said this about this verse. I like it. He said. He said, if that roaring lion that goes out continually seeking whom he may devour, find us alone <coughs> among the vineyards of the Philistines, where is our hope? Not in our heels, for he is swifter than we, not in our weapons, we are naturally unarmed, not in our hands, which are weak and languishing, but in the spirit of God by whom we can do all things. If God fights in us, who can resist us? There's no stronger lion in us than that against us. And that's something. What Spurgeon was saying, basically, as believers, that roaring lion, he's talking about Satan. How do we defeat Satan? With God's power who resides in us. And God's power in us is greater than the power of Satan. Satan is not more powerful than God. Amen to that. The Holy Spirit of God wants to come upon us as believers and give us power. The power for something more important than ripping apart lions. Giving us power. Empowering us to give to God's glory. 
empowering us to tell others about Jesus more effectively, empowering us to resist the enemy, to resist the devil, to resist temptation to sin. That is, that is the power that we have that comes from the Holy Spirit. So he took this honey home again and gave it to his parents. And so now, Samson holds what we would call a bachelor party. Verses 10 and 11. So it says here, So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there for young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Drinking feast. <laughs> and they bought 30 companions, so man, there's a lot of people. So Stanford had basically like a bachelor party. But then he tells a riddle. <laughs> so he gives a riddle about the lion and honey first, verse 12 through 14. He says, Then Stanford said to him, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, hold your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something to eat. Now, for three days, they could not explain the riddle. <laughs> oh, boy. So he was going to give them some fine clothing, changes of clothing. Clothing back then wasn't that numerous. Now, they didn't have like stores and stuff like we do now. Clothing was a very expensive commodity. But the riddle again says, out of the eater came something to eat. And you know what he's talking about? The lion was the eater. And what came to eat out of it? The honey from the bees. So Samson, so he, he gave that riddle to them and, and gave them three days to uh, answer it, right? We'll see. So verse 15 says, But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us. So they could have figured out after three days, and now seven days have passed. Or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Wow. So they threatened his wife's life. That's how serious it was. Hmm. Have you invited us in order to take what is Hours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And Samson talked like his wife. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother. So should I explain it to you? Now she wept on him seven days. Why their feast lasted. It's a long feast. Well, they had really long feasts back then. They really did. Because she pressed him so much. She kept asking him, asking him, asking him. 
Nancy explained the riddle to the ones sons of her people. But the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. That's mm. the wife knew how to manipulate the situation and how to make herself a burden to her husband until she got what she wanted from him. And she just kept nagging him and nagging him and nagging him. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something that said? Oh, yeah. she, was, she was like a nagging wife. Yes, you know, this is not, this is as old as, you know, thousand years old, too. She was just nagging him and nagging him. But he finally gave her the answer to the riddle so that she could tell her people. But he told her because she had pressed him so much. And just think about this. A woman manipulated the world's strongest man. And you know what? The weakness of Samson is going to later be his downfall, as we're going to see in the next uh, chapter or so. So his wife was showing herself to be manipulative. But again, he married this pagan, and this is part of the consequences of that. We have good biblical principles. So the reason why Samson's wife cooperated with her husband was because of the threat, the fear of the threat, number one. Because if she had told Samson about the threat, what do you think Samson would have done? He would have had the situation. He would have probably killed those women. But she probably didn't want him to do that. So he solved the riddle by saying, if you had not plowed with my heifer, heifer, you know, the female cow, you would not have solved my riddle. So he was so upset at being manipulated. His wife had ruined what she wanted through manipulation and he was not pleased by this. So what she did, she she lost her husband's heart. She was upset that she manipulated him like that. But again, this is one of the consequences of marrying this pagan woman. And this is something to note that uh, one of these commentators said that I was looking at for this passage. He said, when a man gives in to his wife's manipulation so as to keep peace, it almost always builds anger and resentment in the man and guilt in the woman for what she did. The way of manipulation is tempting because it works. It always brings real destruction. A spouse, whether it's a woman, a wife doing to her husband, a husband doing to his wife. When that person gives in to the manipulation of his spouse or her spouse, her husband, his wife, it does build resentment <coughs> and anger within that person. And this is what happened with Samson. Wife manipulating him, and guess what? It, it, it made him resent her because you're not supposed to do that to your husband, to your wife. You're not supposed to. Manipulate. You have some couples that do that. They, they, the wife manipulates the husband, and the husband manipulates the wife, and all that's going to do is cause strife in the marriage, in the relationship. And the consequences are going to be bad. So, what happens? Samson gets angry. Verse nineteen. 
Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And he went down to Ascalon and killed 30 of their men with their apparel, gave the change of clothes to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to this companion who had been his best man. Now, the spirit of the Lord did not come upon Samson to avenge the hurt feelings of a husband. That's not why the spirit of God came upon him. Remember, God was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. So the people in Ascalon, they were Philistines. God used this occasion to pour his spirit on Samson to fight against the Philistines. And so he went down to kill 30 of them, and so he paid off the bet. And he did it at the expense of the Philistines. He killed 30 men so that he can get those 30 garments that he promised to satisfy their debts. He killed 30 men. Now, this reminds me of Christ. So Samson killed 30 of his enemies and gave their garments to satisfy the debt that he holds those men who saw the river. God killed his son to satisfy our sin debt. The debt of not just 30 people, but untold amounts of people who believe in him. So Jesus is the greater Samson. He's the greater than Samson. Samson had to kill people in order to satisfy a debt. God killed his son. He gave his son as what? Our sacrifice, our substitute, dying in our place for our sin so that his wrath against sin would be satisfied. So that's what happened in Christ. God gave his son to die on the cross to satisfy his wrath against sin. Samson had to kill people, 30 people to do that. God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to pay our sin debt. So that's the better difference. So it says here, his anger was aroused and he went back to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. So Samson won a battle, but he lost a war, basically. His wife left him, left him rather, and went to be with his best man. Think about that. His wife, when he got back, killing old people, his wife was given to his best man. Again, these are what? Philistines. Didn't have any limiting principles as the Jews did. At all. What do you think Samson would say if he was a marriage counselor? Man. <laughs> You're probably saying, I love my wife, but it seems like we're not moving in the same direction as, as some people say now. That's how, that's how I can imagine that being. So, Samson was at fault for not guarding his heart against falling in love with the woman who had zero 
business partner over. <coughs> and this is the consequence of it. He didn't found his marriage on God's principles. Yep, he married by sight. Like, now Sansa's wife was at fault for siding with others against her husband. Mm-hmm. Or siding with those men against her husband. She was, she was wrong for that. You know, she was at fault for not telling her husband what the real problem was. So she shared the blame also. And she was at fault for manipulating her husband by bothering him until he got her way. But again, she doesn't have those Christian principles. Then most of all, she was at fault for giving up on the marriage and going to be with his best man. Samson didn't leave her. She left him. The point is, no matter what problems in a relationship, a person may have, especially people who, especially believers, people who call themselves Christians. What God commands us most of all is to not give up on the marriage, like Samson's pagan wife did. Christians, we have a higher ideal than the world. Because we have a covenant between ourselves and God. We, we are Christian, the thing about Christian marriage is this. Okay, Fran and I, we married 25 years now, I guess. They are married now, but it's different. What makes a Christian marriage different is a couple things. Number one, we have that covenant. All marriage is a covenant anyway, but a Christian is a special covenant. But then also, we are still brothers and sisters in Christ. Fran is not only my wife, but she's my Christian sister. I'm not only her husband, I'm her Christian brother. That makes a difference. I can't be a Christian brother with an unbelieving wife. She can't be a Christian sister with an unbelieving husband. So that's what makes that covenant between Christians even even more special and more more serious. Samson didn't have that because he married a pagan. She left him and gave up on the marriage. But God commands us not give up on marriage so quickly. And too many people do that. Too many of them are too lazy to work things out. Too lazy. They give it to the world. Oh, I've lost feelings for my husband. Oh, I've lost feelings for my wife. Okay. Have you prayed, like earnestly prayed to God? Have you earnestly prayed with your husband, with your wife about those feelings? been patient with your husband or patient with your wife during those seasons? You're going to have those seasons sometimes. Unless there's some uh, adultery going on, which is even a worse thing. But in those times when you have it, you can't say, oh, I don't, I don't love my husband. I, I don't, because most people talk about feeling, they don't feel it anymore. That's what, that's what, what Samson saw. He saw this Philistine wife and man, he, he felt it. Because she was a Philistine, she was a pagan. Many people marry, or they date somebody, they, they end up getting married based on feelings, based on infatuation, based on the outside stuff. 
deal with fearless ladies like the old BB King, the great theologian BB King, the thrill is gone. <laughs> you know, and then they say, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't have any fearless. I don't have the same fearless for my my husband or, or my wife. Well, whose fault is that? It's yours. It's your husband's. Any meaningful marriage is going to run through rough patches. But you do what? Work through them. Together. It can't be one person doing it. That's what pagans do. That's not what Christians do. Unless there's abuse, rampant adultery, unrepentant adultery, or in some cases financial ruin, you work it out. That's the Christian idea. That's the godly thing to do. That's the witness to the world that we do. But if you have a pagan mind, then guess what? You're going to think like pagans. You're going to think like Samson's wife and leave him and go to his best man. Be like Samson. Way to be fixed. And some people, fearless, are too lazy. Because they, they don't they don't really and it's just it's on them. Exactly. They're too lazy. Breaking up your family. That's a sin. So you have Samson doing this. His wife. So Samson takes some of the blame. Wife. So in closing, we'll get to the next chapter uh, next week. We see here God's standard of marriage and relationship marriage. It's not even good, honestly. I got into college when I was young, dumb, and stupid. It's not even good for a believer to date an unbeliever. Not to even date them. It's not even good to do that. Because that's dangerous too. It's not good for unbelievers to even date. I'm sorry, it's not even good for believers to date non Christians, unbelievers. It's just not good. Things may work out, but man, I'm going to tell you what, it's going to be some heartache for the heartbreak. Will be heartache and heartbreak, and, and many people don't protect their hearts when it comes to that. They only think about their feelings, how a person makes them feel on the inside. I'm gonna tell you what, those goosebumps they won't last that long, they'll eventually fade away. Bad and unbeliever. Will cause dire consequences. And nothing justifies sinful action, even if the outcome turns out to be it doesn't work that way. Again, if you're single as a Christian, don't even date an unbeliever. Nine times out of ten, they're going to pull you away <coughs> from Christ. 
That's how manipulative the enemy is. That's how cunning and conniving he is. And we cannot, we don't want to tempt like that. Because you can run a serious, continue, if you date a non-Christian, you can run a serious risk of falling in love with them. Falling in love with somebody you have no business falling in love with. Just like them. And then you go all the way and then, man, you end up messed up. Amen? Let us learn from that. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Lord, I, I pray for our single, unmarried, Christian brothers and sisters who desire a spouse. In that desire, Father, but that they don't, they don't compromise. They don't desire unbelievers because it will cause grief. The house will be always divided. For our single, unmarried brothers and sisters who desire a suitable companion and help me, well, I pray that you grant them that wish, grant them that desire. Lord, may they be wise in their choosing. If they choose someone who is solid, who is in your word, someone who they will feel comfortable introducing to their pastor, to other Christian friends. And Lord, we thank you for Christ, as I said earlier. Samson had to kill 30 men in order to fulfill the promise that he had made to pay off the debts of the people who solved the riddle. Lord, you offered up your son, Jesus Christ, to pay our sin debt, which is a greater sacrifice, a greater honor than what Samson did. Jesus is the greater and better Samson. We thank you, Lord, for Christ, for you, Lord, offering up your son on the cross, paying our sin debt. And Lord, we will forever be grateful for that. <coughs> thank you for your word. Thank you for being with us tonight. We'll meet on the Lord's Day. With the grace of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit, bless us all. Amen. Amen.